This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's what day is today? Uh, Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> Wednesday. I should know. I'm on call tonight. I should know. Um, I, I have an excuse. I'm post-call. So, you are post-call. You know. How are you? <laughs> good, doing good. Um, okay, we're talking about transfusion uh, of uh, red blood cell transfusions this week. We have uh, a great guest coming on tomorrow. This is going to be fun. <laughs> Um, but I wanted to, if that's okay with you, Daphne, we, we could do some housekeeping uh, yes. before we begin, just because uh, we've received a lot of questions about the subscription for the podcast. Um, so on uh, when, you, when you signed up for the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, um, you, um, you signed up for, most of you probably signed up for a monthly subscription. But if you have like CME money that you want to use and stuff, you can modify your uh, subscription in your Apple podcast, in your, in your Apple subscription, uh, I guess, folder. So when you go in the, in your, in your phone, you go in the app store and you click on your, whatever, your little image at the top, your icon with your face on it. Uh, then you can see all the things you're subscribed to, and you could actually change the subscription to a yearly subscription so that you could have like one, um, one payment for the year so that you could submit that to CME for CME or book reimbursement or whatever. I mean, it's not its not like the subscription is thousands and thousands of dollars. It's like, I think at the end of the day, it adds up to $110 for the year. Uh, but anyway, if you want to do it in a lump sum, uh, this would be the way uh, this would be the way to do it for the uh, Apple podcast uh, subscription. And um, yeah, and if you, uh, we've also had people who've reached out to us having trouble getting or finding uh, a receipt. So if, if you need a receipt, then e- email us, right? And we'll, we can create a receipt for you. Just let us know um, your name, uh, your first and last name, your address, and and maybe like um, maybe like the last four digits of the credit card you paid with so that we can sort of draft a receipt for you um, so that you can submit that stuff. Um, yeah. Does that? Sounds good. Yeah, we've just been getting a lot of emails. It's a great idea. I, you know, it's, it's like impossible to submit CME by month, right? It's like so annoying. Yeah. (laughs) So anyways, this is a great way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And don't leave any CME book money on the table, right? No, that's, that's a rookie rookie mistake. (laughs) That's a rookie mistake. Um, All right, right. Daphna. So today you are, uh, today I'm off the hook. You're telling us about anemia of prematurity. That's right. That's right. Well, I mean, none of this is earth shattering, right? But um, it's something we see every day in the unit and um, it's definitely um, comes up a lot in the board review studying. So definitely something for us to, to discuss. So let's talk initially about the basics of hematopoiesis, which is really on every board review study guide. So the sites of a hematopoiesis change throughout fetal and um, the early natal life. So first, hematopoiesis starts in the yolk sac within 16 to 19 days of gestation, and that continues until about eight weeks of gestation. 
then the fetal liver begins um, its job of hematopoiesis, and that starts to ramp up about five to six weeks. So it overlaps with the yolk sac. And then it becomes the primary site between the kind of six to 22 week mark. The bone marrow then becomes the primary site of hematopoiesis after 22 weeks, but really begins around eight to 20 weeks. So for our babies in the NICU, um, until we really push the threshold of, of viability, um, the bone marrow is the primary site. But for those um, early um, fetal weeks, it's first the yolk sac, then the liver transitioning to the bone marrow. Um, and then other things to know in general, red blood cell number uh, and hematocrit increase as gestational age increases. MCV and nucleated RBCs decrease as gestational age increases. And in terms of reticulocytosis, that increases, peaks at about 26 to 27 weeks, and then declines from there. Um, the other thing we'll talk about is really kind of the physiological uh, nadir um, of anemia for term infants and preterm infants. But first, I think we should discuss kind of the basics of anemia prematurity. So it's one of the major comorbidities seen in preterm infants. It is felt to be kind of a, a physiologic state um, because it happens to everybody. Um, and it's seen in uh, infants for a number of reasons, and it's basically a more extreme physiologic nadir that semen term infants. Uh, we see a, a, a more, um, a lower degree of anemia, more anemia in the preterm infant. Um, the major reasons are that birth in the preterm infant occurs before major placental iron transport and fetal erythropoiesis are complete. And this tends to occur in the third trimester. So most of the iron that we um, accrete from our, our, our parent, our mother, is, is in the third trimester, um, just like many of the other uh, critical minerals. Um, secondly, there's low plasma erythropoietin in the preterm infant, and it has a low um, erythropoietin output in response to anemia. So let's talk about innate erythropoietin production for a second. Um, this is something else that frequently comes up during studying. So EPO is the uh, erythropoietin is the essential glycoprotein growth factor for erythropoiesis. It's primarily produced in the fetal liver. And then later in the kidney, much like in the adult. And erythropoiesis is very much tied to blood oxygenation, such that as hypoxia occurs, epogen, uh, erythropoietin production increases. And you may note this clinically, that growth-restricted infants or infants with really poor uroplacental perfusion actually have higher hematocrits uh, than their counterparts at birth. Thusly, when a baby transitions to extrauterine life where their PaO2 increases significantly and tissue oxygenation improves, there's a dramatic decrease in erythropoietin levels after birth, causing um, the later nadir, which again, I'll discuss shortly. And in addition, while the premature um, infant's erythropoietin is still responsive to hypoxia, it works at a lesser degree than in the full-term infant. So it's its response at recovering um, 
in the face of hypoxia is not the same as the full-term infant. And this is likely related to developmental differences in transcription factors. Some of the other reasons we see a more extreme, uh, you know, anemia in the preterm infant is they have rapid body growth, but they have limited ability to expand their blood volume, and this leads to a hemodilution. They may have other disorders that lead to hemolysis or bleeding, and in addition, illness further suppresses epigen, erythropoietin production. They have a shorter lifespan and increased turnover of their red blood cells. And finally, um, a point that we've spoken about earlier in the week, phlebotomy, phlebotomy blood loss is um, taken for laboratory testing. So it's important to remember that with each lab draw for, say, an extremely low birth weight infant, a greater proportion of that baby's blood is taken because the lab still needs the same amount of blood. So as a reminder, say you have a 500 gram ELBW and you assume a 90 to 100 mLs per kilo of circulating blood volume, that baby only has 50 mLs total in their whole body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you think about the amount of blood we take for um, daily labs, um, for blood cultures, it's a lot of blood. Yeah. And so if you take, and if you take like, what if you take one to two mLs over the course of mm. three days? Like mm-hmm. you, you removing a good ten percent of this kid's blood volume. Yeah, and it's. I mean, if it's anything like our our lab is occasionally, you know, you send you send the it's lab clotted. in the morning. It's, it's clotted. Uh, yeah. It's quant- not sufficient. All of a sudden, and so you're sending it twice, right, in the same day. Mm-hmm. And so, like you said, easily you could take one to two mls over the course of 72 and and there's all these these um insensible blood losses as Mm -hmm. i call them Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. yeah the the heel is going to bleed a bit more after after the the nurse is done collecting the blood and then maybe you have some micro bleeding in the gut from your og like there's all these little areas where you might still be losing a little bit of blood that you never even account for you're absolutely right or you know, it, to to the the credit of people drawing the blood, our bedside nurses they want to make sure that it's enough blood, and so oh, yeah. they take off a little extra, right? So, because they don't want to have to do it again, which happens all the time. So, those are the major reasons why we see uh, anemia prematurity, and this anemia is characterized by being normocytic, normochromic, with a decreased reticulocyte count. And um, I thought this was really interesting after reading this a bunch of times. It's really considered nutritionally insensitive. So that means it doesn't tend to respond to exogenous iron, vitamin E, or folate because that's not really the major problem. Um, That doesn't mean that a baby can't also have... um, you know, concomitant anemia related to some of these deficiencies. So those vitamins are still very important and nutrition is still very important as it relates to anemia. But when we're, when we're talking about just about the anemia prematurity, um, it's really these other factors. Um, and the clinical symptoms that are felt to be reflected by anemia um, uh, include tachycardia, increased oxygen requirement, and there's some thought that it's been related to poor weight gain and increased apneas and bradycardias. It's also really important to know what to expect over time. So this is what we're really talking about. What should we anticipate for the the nadir or the lowest values? So in contrast to the nadir, the physiologic anemia we see in full-term infants, which really gets to hemoglobin levels of about 10 to 12, the premature infant may have a nadir um, of 7 to 8. 
um, if less than uh, 1.2 kilos, and about 9 if greater than 1.2 kilos. And the nadir also occurs earlier in the preterm infant for the reasons that we discussed. So this tends to happen about 5 to 6 weeks as compared to 8 to 10 weeks in a full-term infant. And in general, without intervention, this does resolve over three to six months. Now, treatment-wise, um, there are ways we can protect infants from anemia of prematurity, so delayed cord clamping and obviously reducing blood draws. Um, early epigen uh, administration has been evaluated, and we know that before day eight, it does seem to reduce um, the number of blood transfusions, say, for the entire NICU admission. But this is still not universal practice. And of course, um, VLBWs and ELBWs still often require numerous blood transfusions, um, and that's why we spent so much time talking about transfusions this week. In fact, neonates tend to be one of the most heavily transfused groups of patients, um, and in general, most transfusions occur in those first two weeks of life when babies are most critical, which makes it really difficult to provide interventions that improve anemia except limiting uh, lab draws. Yeah, this is this is a stat that has always drove me crazy. Like, this is the most transfused group. Yeah. Like, when you really me. think about it, it makes sense. But yeah, maybe maybe yeah, right. A, yeah, not in volume, but in like number of transfusions. Right, number of obvi- transfusions, obviously. Sure. But still, yeah. God. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> And, and then when we talk about transfusions, um, you know, obviously we know there can be metabolic derangements associated with transfusions, and they tend to be more pronounced in um, the preterm infant. So namely, hypoglycemia, some of that really comes from uh, stopping glucose infusion, say if you only have one point of access, or in, you know, there's so many units that are stopping feeds during transfusions which we're not going to tackle this week, but maybe a discussion for a different week. Um, Hyperkalemia from the leakage of potassium as red blood cells sits in storage. And so there are lots of units um, where after discussions with the blood bank, the neonates can get the newest blood. Um, and, and that um, helps as well. There's hypocalcemia because transfused blood is enriched with citrate and that can precipitate. So, um, all derangements are in a way dose dependent and they're much more likely to occur, say, if you had a baby that needed numerous transfusions or an exchange transfusion, um, much more common than in our day-to-day small volume transfusions. Um, finally, another point I wanted to touch about is that um, transfusion reactions are, are really rare in neonates, though they can still occur. Um, and again, potentially a whole additional topic to be discussed. It's rarely presented in board review materials, but definitely something to think about clinically. What is tested, however, is kind of the appropriate uh, modifications that we need to make for ordering blood. So for example, leukoreduction of blood. This implies filtration or removal of leukocytes um, in blood. And for neonates, this is important because it reduces transfusion-transmitted cytomegalovirus um, in seronegative preterm neonates since cytomegalovirus um, remains latent within leukocytes. So it comes from a patient that's been exposed to CMV, it's latent in the leukocytes, it sits there in the stored blood, and if we don't leukoreduce it, then that virus um, can be transfused into, say, a, a baby or another immunodeficient patient. So by leukoreducing and taking out those white blood cells where the CMV is latent, um, we reduce um, basically eliminate um, this risk for preterm neonates. 
And this is different than the need for irradiated blood products, which is done to reduce transfusion-associated grasp versus host disease. So the blood product itself is is irradiated in an effort to um, basically decrease lymphocyte proliferation. So in general, um, there's still much debate about which neonates need to have irradiated blood, but many centers use birth weight less than 1,200 grams. Um, Certainly any infant with suspected cellular immunodeficiency, just like in older populations. Um, And then lots of units kind of avoid any discrepancy by saying all blood for neonates needs to be irradiated. But again, that's not standard of care either. But and when oh go ahead. No, I was gonna say so you said that the local redu- the leuco reduction removes um removes the white blood cells, correct? And that really mm-hmm. helps us from the to reduce the transmission of CMV. Mm-hmm. Um and but it does also I guess prevent um like other transfusion reactions I'm assuming. Well, I mean, it, part of grapho, the part, part of the trans, transfusion associated grapho versus host still relates to lymphocytes. So, if you've leuco reduced um, the blood, then it, it does reduce some of that as well. Right. Um, but if you have a very small baby or baby who you're really concerned um, about their um, cellular immunity, then you would irradiate in addition. Right, and then um, and it's interesting because you said. Uh, that the CMV remains latent. Because I've seen, if I remember correctly, in the ordering system in our computers that you can also order like CMV negative blood, right? Right. So that would mean that whatever circulating CMV would be taken care of, but like the the latent one that's inside the white blood cells, which may not be detected in the, right, that would be taken care of by the leuco reduction. Exactly. And because we still have a pretty high prevalence of, of, of CMV in the general population. Yeah. That's very um, especially, like you said, if it's latent, I mean, you know, lots of people are exposed, right? Um, so mm-hmm. definitely something to consider. The I wanted to mention one more thing about irradiation. Um, so differently than, say, the adult population, when blood needs to be irradiated for infants, it really, it really should be done just before the transfusion. Um, and so, like in our hospital, for example, um, they, that's why it takes so much longer for our blood to come because the, ba- the baby's blood going to babies is irradiated right before um, they send down the blood because when blood is irradiated and stored, which can be done, it increases the free hemoglobin and potassium in the blood product. Um, so that's been identified um, as an area of importance for for our, uh, especially our preterm neonates. Um, and so um, blood that comes for them that needs to be re- irradiated um, should be done right before transfusion. Um, that's really what I wanted to talk about today, buddy. Anything else? No, that was, that was very helpful. Um, can, um, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, the guest that you've booked for tomorrow? Yes. Oh, I'm so excited. So, um, Dr. Um, Matthew Saxonhouse, um, is really in, an expert on hematologic disorders um, in neonates. He's written extensively on transfusions and uh, neonatal thrombosis. Um, and so we're really excited to have him on tomorrow. That's really cool. I'm still baffled by the irradiation that you described. I mean, this is like, right. I mean, I just usually just check off leuco-reduced irradiated and, and order. That's right. Cells. When you really but, think about all the work that has to be done. Yeah. And like, 
transfusion-associated graft versus host is something, if I remember correctly, from board review that has been described in neonates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. And, 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 and it's commonly um, missed, right? You have to have a low index of suspicion um, because it presents basically like sepsis. <laughs> so um, it, I, I, I believe it will be one of our questions later this week. So. Okay. That's fantastic. All right, Daphne. Thank you so much. And, and then we'll see you tomorrow. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nikupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUPodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.